If you are sitting at home next to your radio, you're hearing the music faster than you are if you're in the hall. Listening for the secret. Searching for the sound. This is The Sound Podcast with Ira Haberman. Listening to Fireproof from Matis Yahoo's recently dropped EP Hold the Fire. It's been almost two decades of making music for Matis Yahoo, whose music has also been shaped by his personal spiritual journey. Both have evolved considerably since 2004. 
As you'll soon hear, the events of October 7th, 2023 in Israel have had a profound impact on Matis Yahu, whose music continues to be inspired by how deeply rooted his spirituality and heritage are in his soul. So thanks for taking the time. Hold the Fire is your, is your uh, latest EP. Tell me a bit about creating this EP amidst all of the, the chaos going on in the world. Well, it's interesting because I wrote the EP in mostly last year, so prior to this all. But now, as we're singing the words to these songs and stuff, it's like resonating so strongly with what's happening. And uh, it's it's cool how songwriting and lyrics and music can can do that, you know? Even like some of my older songs, you know, as I'm singing them, the references like Lord Raised Me Up From The Ground or H. Tom Mead Eternally or Jerusalem, If I Forget You, all of these things are kind of like archetypical, like ideas in Judaism. They're like very, very essential core things. And they're things that we deal with. And we deal with them, and particularly when we're being squeezed and when we're, uh, you know, when there's anti Semitism, we're kind of like lights a flame inside of us, and especially in me. So, pretty cool how that all happens. It's interesting that these themes keep coming up because they're certainly a part of not just um, Judaism's lore and and the, the Jewish people's lore, but but life in general. I mean, it hasn't been in 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 general the last couple of years, probably since before COVID, haven't been the easiest for for humankind in general, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, COVID was difficult, and then there's sort of like a flood of artists performing, and all the prices on tour buses and stuff like jacked up to the roof. So even after COVID, it became hard to make a living. Um, and then October 7th happening, obviously, the world we're living in, you know, every dirtbag scum bucket in the world all of a sudden is now an anti-Semite as well. So it's like, you see this whole, like, you know, parading of anti-Semitism, glorified Jew-hating, very difficult. I'm curious from your perspective, if, if, <laughs> I've asked this of other artists that we've had on the show. Uh, Nefesh Mountain is is the last one that I asked this about. Do you consider yourself a Jewish artist uh, or an artist that you know has leanings towards well towards Judaism or or their belief structure? It's it, it's interesting to me what what comes first because I think I know the answer, but but share the answer in your opinion. Well, I think when I started out um, doing the Modest Yahoo thing. I always envisioned myself just as an artist because I, I didn't really grow up in an Orthodox Jewish world or like in the shtetl or around Jewish music. So the whole concept, it kind of like didn't make sense to me. And then when I was exposed to Jewish music, when I became Orthodox, I thought it was pretty pitiful, to be honest. And um, uh, very rarely, even in the last 25 years, have I heard a Jewish, a, a Jewish artist, you know, making Jewish music that I feel like is exceptional music. Um, so I, I always kind of like didn't view myself as a Jewish artist in that sense. However, um, it was very obvious that my first, like when I first came out as an artist that Judaism was like sent the, the central component yeah. to my work and to my vision and to the way that I saw the world and myself and everything being kind of played up against the stories of the Bible or the Torah that I was learning or God and my idea of God or my avoda or my struggle within Judaism. So Judaism became like, for sure, everything 
was centered on that from the way I looked to the songs that I was writing, um, to even some aspects of maybe the performance that felt Jewish, but Minyan backstage and lighting menorahs on stage and disco, you know, disco ball dreidel on Hanukkah, all that kind of stuff. Um, but over the years, like as time went on, it became less central to me. So as I kind of grew and changed, um, I became like less focused on the Jewish experience and more focused, I guess, on the human experience. Yeah. You know, what, what's my experience as a father, as a, as a husband getting divorced and relationships and, um, you know, ups and downs and addictions and all, all the like kinds of different things, um, that are just part of the human experience. And, uh, that was sort of hard for, I think a lot of people to understand, but it was a natural organic kind of, kind of flow for me however that being said now after october 7th i feel very much like a return to the original modest yahoo flame you know and i'm and i'm embracing it um there's so many things to unpack um with regards to october 7th and i, I don't want to get into the to the details necessarily but how important was it for you to be in DC for the for the march for Israel in November and 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 lending your support to to the cause and and to so many people who have 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 come uh, come come to the fore in 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 discussing these issues that are that are going on in 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 the Middle East. It was huge for me um, to be there to be a part of that with all those Jews from all those different backgrounds, you know, uh, religious, non-religious. Um, and being up on that stage and singing for everyone was very important. And um, I think it was great because it let people know right away if anyone was unsure where I was going to stand on this whole thing. So it was it was a big deal. And then since then, I went to Israel for, for a week and I visited the kibbutzim. I met with the Nova survivors and made music with them. And I recorded a video for a song that I wrote after the Kanye stuff uh but before october 7th but it's, you know sort of unfortunately it's like you know it there was no rush to release it because anti-semitism is not going anywhere anytime soon so i am going to release it though in early march after the cp it's going to be the first song i release and we made the video there with with survivors from the festival wow um and uh you know just some incredibly powerful footage that's gonna hopefully uh become a song of empowerment for for Jews, you know? Speaking of songs of empowerment for Jews, um, you wrote the song One Day uh, quite, a, quite a while ago, and it's sort of one of those songs that has sustained time and is, you know, um, probably the song that you are most um, most known for at this point in, in both the Jewish world and the secular world, probably because it was used uh, by NBC Sports at the Olympics, but... But it seems like the message now is rings even more true than when when you wrote this song initially. Um, it's an anthem, I think, uh, and it's been done by by choirs in Israel. It's been done by well, you were in the backseat of a beautiful duet, or I guess it wasn't a duet, yeah. a trio uh, last That's week right. or when you were in Israel. How important has that song been? And did you ever think in your wildest dreams that that song would be? Uh, a flashpoint for for what could be in the world and and what you know a song of hope and freedom could could you know eclipse some of the other songs of that ilk uh in in 2024 
Actually, yes, I did. I mean, I was, uh, you know, I had King Without a Crown and I had put out, um, I had put out uh, the youth record had come out already. Yeah. And I went to record the Light album with David Kahn. At the time, I was studying a lot of Rebbe Nachman and in particular, the story of the seven beggars, I felt was a good story to base an album after it. And so initially, you know, the album was seven, just called Seven Beggars, basically. And there was a song called Seven Beggars that I wrote with Trevor, Trevor Hall. I don't know if you know him. Of course. Um, and each of those songs kind of represented one of the different beggars. And it was more a little bit more of a concept album there. And uh, we worked on that for like about, I don't know, it was like six months with me and David Kahn every day. And it was like... He's a little bit known for overproducing. It was kind of like there was a lot of layers to all that music and and stuff. And then the new president came into Epic Records. Her name was Amanda Ghost. And she said, like, you know, this record is overproduced and there isn't any hit song on it. And I had just been on tour, actually, with a Canadian artist. And I was even in Canada with him, I believe, at the time. And then um, I think he came into the States with me um, and he was opening. His name is Kanon. Kanon, mm -hmm. you know Kanon. And mm -hmm. he had that song waving. He had that song waving flag. When yep. I get older, I will be stronger. And I loved that song. And I'd hear him sing it every night. And it wasn't a, it wasn't even a single yet. And I said to Amanda, I would like to work with the producers who wrote waving flag because I'm looking for my no woman, no cry, my anthem, you know? Yeah. 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 That sort of like big, massive pop song that I felt modest Yahoo is capable of making um, a world anthem kind of for peace kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, she said, well, that works because the A&R who's your new A&R who I just brought in manages this group called the Schmeezingtons. <laughs> and uh, that's who that's who produced and wrote Waving Flag with Canaan. And uh, we'll send you out to L.A. tomorrow to go do that. Wow. So we cut we cut three or four songs off the record and recorded one day and another song called For You with a different producer. But one day I get to the session. Do you know the story at all or no? No, I no, I don't. I, I, I want to hear it. It's great. I, I recently started telling it a lot more. Um because it's pretty cool but i get into the session and there's three guys in the room there's an engineer his name is ari he's from teaneck new jersey there is uh another another and two producers that are kind of working together and one of them is just kind of off the wall with his ideas he's just like running around the room he's got great ideas he works very fast and uh he just really like knew exactly what he was doing and i i wrote some stuff um, blood drenched pavement, you know, that's my line. Uh, hmm. <laughs> and then I went to dinner to get a kosher dinner and it was traffic. It was across on the other side of town. And I came back and they basically rewrote the entire song. And, um, and the, the, one of those three guys is, was Bruno Mars before wow. he had a record deal. Wow. Yeah. So he was, he was trying to get a record deal at the time and was having a, a hard time getting signed. And he had been writing for people for a while. So, so yeah, that's a Bruno Mars uh, bona fide hit. Wow, amazing. That's an incredible story. Um, you're going on tour. You're actually on tour already uh, in support of Hold the Fire, Hold the Fire Tour 2024. 
34 dates uh, with special guest Sideways. Um, how different, I know you've been playing a lot with my pal Adam Weinberg, and that's been in the acoustic setting. How different is yeah. this Is this setting? Um, is it going to be full band uh, like the old school days? Yep. These are full band shows. Here's the tour bus right here <laughs> in the trailer. Yeah. Um, they're full band shows. The band that I'm playing with now is my, you know, longtime friend, Aaron Dugan from college, from Live at Stubbs and Youth, who's been playing with me for years. And then I'm playing with a few members of the Sideways Band. That's a band or a reggae band from Santa Barbara that's op opened for me a couple of times on the last couple tours. Cool. And um, so they open and then they play in the band as well. And then the bass player from a reggae band called Ayaterra named Nick Porch. Um, and uh, so he's he's a, a reggae cat. And um, and that's the band we have now. I assume that the 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 tour is going to include all of the the catalog, right? Not just the songs from from this EP, but you're going to be playing all all the hits, as they say. Correct, correct. I'm trying to think what last night's set list was. It was our first show last night? Uh, we opened up with King Without a Crown. Then we played Live Like a Warrior. Mm -hmm. Then we played Ripples. We played a new song called The Scent. We played a new song called Lifeline, Youth, and then my son, Shalom, is 17. He uh, just released his first song oh, wow. two nights ago. Yeah, it's called Wasted Time, so he did Wasted Time. So it's kind of like a mix of stuff, you know, from from, this, from the years. But I, I, I am finding that it's leaning heavier on the older albums, like Youth. Yeah. Um, and then a few songs from Sparkseeker, like Tel Avivin. Sunshine, live like a warrior. Less stuff off of Akeda and Undercurrent. Is that because of the mood you're in? Is it because of those songs aren't as easy to play live? What 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 is? I mean, it sounds like you come out firing right out of the gate with <laughs> with last night's set list. Like, yeah, yeah, we really did. I mean, I mean, I think look, there are songs that people just love, and I've come to accept that, and uh, I've come to enjoy playing them, and um, and I like to play those songs, so. Yeah, I mean, those like, like Akeda, for example, it's a little bit more personal, you know, and there was a time when I felt like those were the songs or, you know, that I really wanted to sing. And right now I'm feeling like I really am going back to the old Modest Yahoo songs and then the new stuff. Right. So it's kind of like a little bit like that and less from from, you know, in between. As a as an artist who does play this material, do you do you think that it's sort of your duty to be out there on the road, thirty four dates across America, um, not just telling your story but telling your people's story? Do you think that that's uh, incredibly important right now? Absolutely, I do. I feel like a responsibility to do it. Um, of course, it's just what I do and it's how I make a living. But um, especially after going to Israel and seeing the things I saw, speaking with the people I spoke with. I felt like coming back here, um, it's important for people to come to my show and to see that I'm out here doing it. And I wasn't sure exactly how I wanted to handle it. You know, like I'm not really one for giving speeches and I, I, I don't necess I necessarily want to say, you know. Yeah, you're speaking you're speaking through your music. You're not necessarily making exactly, bold exactly. statements. I wanna yeah. I yeah, I wanna speak through the heart. I think I'm not trying to explain the situation to anyone yeah. and I'm not interested in explaining it. I mean, but I am putting my art out there, which comes from where I come from, and it's got a context to it. And I think that it's powerful. And like last night's show, I think was was moving for people.
Hold the Fire is just an EP. When can we expect a full length from you? Or is that even something that's worthwhile doing now in 2024 for artists? Is is an album necessary or is it just putting out EPs more regularly, uh, better tapped? It seems like albums and EPs are are kind of both kind of becoming more and more irrelevant um, and or are diff- more difficult because with DSPs, every time you release a single, basically the distributor gets a, uh, gets to try to push it to get playlisting, which in today's day and age is more important than radio or anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you put out an album, you basically get like one shot at a DSP, whereas if you just put out a single, one single every five weeks, um, you'll get a shot at, at that every single time. So that's what people are doing. And um, that's sort of what I'm probably doing now. I recorded 40 songs last year. Wow. And the EP is the is just five of them. I plan on releasing all of them. And I plan on releasing them probably all in that waterfall kind of way of just releasing one song every five weeks, let people sit with it, digest it, right when they're kind of starting to get tired of it, give them another one and just keep doing that. Uh, it's an extensive tour. Are there any specific uh, spots on the tour that you're more excited about than others? Or is it just, you know, you're just excited to get that, get out there. And I mean, it's been a while since you've done such an extensive tour, right? Yeah. It's funny. Uh, there's a, sort of a little bit of a shift for me. It's like, I always loved like going to the Northwest and I'm not fucking interested anymore. Right. I'd rather be in like Texas or something where I feel like people maybe like, like juice where they might not, you know, they're, they're confused whether or not they like us or, but at least, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I always love the Northwest. I love the West. You know, I love, I love, we're going to be in New Mexico. We're going to be in, you know, Arizona and, and Colorado, um, Portland, Seattle. I'm going to bend, which I have a special connection. My daughter lives there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get to see her. Uh, and you know, I, I love the West coast, California. Um, and then, and then we do the, you know, the Northeast, like we have a big show in Brooklyn on Purim, which is the final show of the tour. Um, right now we're down here in Florida, just, you know, well, it's, it's nonstop. So, uh, whoever routed this tour, congratulations, because it's, it's crazy. Ira golden ring, (laughs) Ira golden ring. Um, well, yeah, it would take an IRA to do something so amazing. Um, so yeah. uh, good luck with this. Um, good luck with the record. Thank you. Uh, on behalf of of those of us who have been fans since day one and those of us who really need somebody like you in their lives right now, fighting the good fight alongside, you know, other other really important people that you would never have suspected, like Michael Rappaport. Um Thank you for for doing yeah. what you do. Thanks for visiting uh, the troops last week with with Adam and um, and thanks for for continuing to be a voice that needs to be heard. I think that's that's the most crucial thing. Whether it's specifically in this time of need or overall, your 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 career and your message has always been one that I think inspires not just Jews but people in general. And um, and certainly uh, we need more Matis Yahoo in our lives. So thanks for taking the time, dude. Really appreciate it and. Let's not let's not wait another 10 years before we chat again, all right? You got it, Ira. God bless you, brother. Matis Yahoo will continue his extensive tour through to the end of March. You can get more info on tour dates at matisyahooworld.com. Before we leave you, we've got a very special treat for you. Matis Yahoo performed in Tel Aviv back on January 17th. Here is a mashup performance of his song One Day and Bob Marley's No Woman, No Cry. 
Special thanks to Matis Yahoo's management and guitar player Adam Weinberg for making this audio available to us and to you.
You've been listening to The Sound Podcast. Technical production by Adam Karsh and Andrea Ruse. Inspired by the music we love. For more, visit thesoundpodcast.com.